0: Strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives.
1: Hi and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. And I'm Jen. And many people, me specifically, like to read about catastrophes.
0: You really do. Like, <laughs> you really love anything catastrophic, natural disasters, I do, yeah. Especially famines. Want, yeah. You're in. You're just all and in. And if
1: you're a listener to our podcast frequently, you know that based on the past three seasons, there are many episodes like that. We talk about floods. We talk about earthquakes. We talk about famine, genocide, all those different types of things. But one thing that I actually enjoy learning about are catastrophes, quote unquote, that occurred in the 18th and 19th century. They are the tales of murder, floods, earthquakes, explosions, like I said, and anything else. What's even more interesting is how these early disasters was the cause of new domestic and foreign policies that emerged from them.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, these these huge events are kind of what shaped the world that we know now. Absolutely.
1: It's not about the catastrophe itself. I mean, yes, yeah. it's, it's awful and you learn from it, but that's what I like about it is that we do learn from it. Yeah, and it's not – it's what shaped our world today. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not
0: the horror. We're not just – No, I'm not, you know, no. watching a car crash. Yeah, no. It's more like, okay, there was this terrible car crash, and that's why they invented airbags. That's the reason why we exactly. have crash test dummies. Like, we're, you know, interested in the way that it shapes humanity. Absolutely. absolutely.
1: In particular was when a fierce fire broke out in New York City and lower Manhattan in the year of 1911.
0: Are you doing the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire? Yes,
1: I am. Oh, boy. This fire combined horror and new politics and propelled New York City and the rest of the nation to create profound changes in the policies, laws, and the practices connected to labor and gender. This episode is about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire of 1911. On March 25th, 1911, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company Factory in New York City burned, killing about 145 workers. This disaster is remembered as one of the most infamous incidents in American industry history, as the deaths were extremely preventable because most of the victims died as a result of neglected safety features and locked doors within the building. The tragedy brought widespread attention to the sweatshops and the conditions of the factories that led to the development of laws and regulations that help protect the safety of workers today. The factory was owned by Max Planck and Isaac Harris, It was located in the top three floors of the Ash Building, which is located on the corner of Green Street and Washington Place in Manhattan. The building has been designated a National Historic Landmark and a New York City Landmark, but it was also a true sweatshop. It employed young immigrant women who worked in a cramped space at lines of sewing machines. Nearly all of the workers were teenaged girls who did not speak English. They worked 12 hours a day, every day. These immigrants brought with them ambition, hunger for knowledge, which was denied to them in their homeland. And once they arrived at the golden doors of Ellis Island, they sought shelter and work. Thanks to the immigrants, the city's economy boomed, making New York the biggest manufacturing city in America.
0: Do you know what type of immigrants they were primarily, or was it just all different kinds?
1: Jewish and Italian primarily. In this,
0: What's a shirtwaist?
1: It is common clothes. It is... The generic everyday clothes that people bought—that's why the economy boomed when they got so many people to, to make them. It was yes. affordable. So yeah, okay. It was, it was like the it was like the Walmart and the Target of that time.
0: Okay, so the idea is it's ready to wear. Mm-hmm. So there, it's mass made clothing, not not like the a lot of the clothing of the day that was specifically made for individuals. No,
1: and it was affordable. So it was a very
0: needed item. A very hot item at that time. If you really want to know exactly what a shirtwaist is, PBS will tell you is a button-down blouse. The functional shirtwaist was valued for its ready-to-wear workplace appeal, simple design, Mm -hmm. and was worn jacketless and fashionably tucked into the waist of a skirt or
1: pants. Sounds like the common wear of 1911. It's just a shirt you tuck in Mm -hmm. to the waist of something else. That is essentially what a shirtwaist is. Mm -hmm. It is not widely known that a huge portion of immigrant women had entered the workforce, propelled by the need of a wage. Despite European traditions of women working from the home, in America they sought whatever work they could find. Were a lot of these young single women. Mm -hmm. Either in unregulated factories or in small apartments doing grueling piecework. No industry had more women than the garment industry, which in the first half of the 20th century came to produce almost 90% of the nation's clothing. Sometimes working the long hours in unheated, poorly lit, unventilated spaces, workers had little choice but to do as they were told and were paid poorly or paid for only what they produced. And if they didn't like the rules, they were easily replaceable.
0: Yeah, there's always somebody ready to take that job right Mm -hmm. after them.
1: So in this building where these women worked, there were four elevators with access to the three floors. But only one elevator was fully operational and the workers had to line it in a file down a long, narrow corridor in order to reach it. There were only two stairways that go down to the street, but one was locked from the outside to prevent stealing and the other door only opened inward. The fire escape was narrow, so narrow that it would have taken hours for all the workers to use it. The dangers of fire in factories like the Triangle Shirtwaist was well known but huge levels of corruption in both the garment industry and the city government generally ensured that no useful precautions were taken to prevent the fires. The owners of the building already had a suspicious history with factory fires. The Triangle Factory was scorched twice in 1902, while their Diamond Waste Company factory burned twice in 1907 and again in 1910.
0: Were they just setting shit on fire to make money, or were they... Oh my God! It I seems that
1: these two deliberately torched their workplaces before business hours in order to collect the large fire insurance policies they purchased, which is not an uncommon thing in the early 20th century. It's I mean, actually not really a common on common thing now, but yeah, I mean, we've... but yeah, that,
0: that's that's what the the theory is on on these two owners. So they've had multiple multiple arsonist oh. fires for a collection of insurance money. But those were done before business hours. It was done before business hours. And you have to also understand
1: that their companies is what is keeping the
0: economy in New York City alive. I mean, yeah, insurance fraud was hugely popular in the late 19th, early 20th century. And we talked about it significantly with H.H. Holmes Mm -hmm. and with the Mike Beloy in New York City where they had the life insurance policies, also Radium Girls. You know, insurance fraud was through the roof. It was a booming industry. It was like, this is the way that people kind of saw to, like, get rich quick. These, mm-hmm. like, schemes to be like, yeah, oh, well, you know, the business isn't going to turn a profit this year. If we just burn it, then we've got this fire insurance
1: that we've been well, paying Well, the into. one thing you have to remember is that they did these before the work hours. So they actually didn't mean to cause any harm to Well, they didn't to want to cause harm to people, right? right. While this is not the cause in 1911's fire, it contributed to the tragedy since Blanc and Harris refused to install sprinklers and take other safety measures in case they need to burn down their
0: shops. (laughs) Just in case, just
1: in case. So seriously,
0: they're just such scumbags. Well, I mean, the other thing, too, is I think that because these are ready to wear garments, the profit margin probably isn't super high. So they're probably working very close to the line anyway in terms of But they own multiple buildings. Oh, of course they do. Of course they do. I'm not saying that they're not Mm. wealthy. I'm just saying that they're not going to spend extra money for the safety of the building the worker or the garments those are especially since they're like oh well you know we set these fires early in the morning no one's there why do we have to worry about anything you know like yeah they're like scrooge mcduck the only way they put sprinklers in if there were actual piles of cash and coins in these buildings be the only (laughs) way the only thing that they would try to save
1: their employees were paid between seven and twelve dollars a week twelve hours a day every day which in 2018 equals to about $191 to $327 a week, or 3 dollars and sixty seven cents to $6.29 an hour. So certainly less than today's minimum wage. Mm-hmm. About half. When the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union had a strike in 1909, demanding higher pay and shorter hours, Blanc and Harris's company was one of the few manufacturers who, of course, resisted, and they hired police as thugs to imprison the women in strike and paying off politicians to look the other way.
0: Yeah, I mean, collectivization of workers is definitely not popular amongst uh, sweatshop owners. It seems like like a real thing they're not into is like paying a living wage or workers' No, but instead they'll spend their money
1: on other people to do the dirty work for them. Scrooge McDuck. The well-organized, mostly female strike captured the public's attention at a time when the suffrage movement was at its peak. Working-class women found their voices, claimed labor leadership roles, and demanded rights at a time when women were deprived of any political roles in society. People gawked at the picket lines, and sometimes they even tried to disrupt it.
0: I mean, we're a solid, like, what, eight years before women mm-hmm. have the right to vote?
1: In the end, their victory was more symbolic than it was actually substantial. But Women must always for, enjoy a symbolic Thank you victory.
0: for your courage to do so, though. Of course, I love that they showed up every day, but the fact that their victory had to be symbolic and was not actual is a symptom of something so much larger, so Mm -hmm. much more irritating. Anyway, so it was a Saturday afternoon, March
1: 25th. There were 600 workers at the factory when the fire began in a rag bin. The manager attempted to use the fire hose to extinguish it, but was unsuccessful. The hose was rotted and its valve was rusted shut. As the fire grew, so did the panic. The young workers tried to exit the building by one elevator, but it could only hold 12 people at a time, and the operator inside was only capable of making four trips back and forth before it finally broke down due to the heat. The girls that were waiting for the elevator to escape the fire plunged down the elevator shaft to their death. The girls that also used staircases found that the bottom door was locked, and they were burned alive. A bookkeeper that was located on the eighth floor was able to warn the employees on the tenth floor, via telephone, but there was no audible alarm, and there was no way to contact the staff on the ninth floor. The workers that were on the floors above the fire, including the owners, escaped to the roof and then to the adjoining buildings. Firefighters arrived and witnessed a horrific scene. The girls that did not make it to the stairwells or to the elevator were trapped by the fire and began to jump from the windows to escape the flames. The bodies of the jumpers fell on the fire hoses, making it difficult to begin fighting the fire. The firefighters' ladders reached only seven stories high, and the fire was on the eighth floor. A life net was used to catch jumpers, but three girls jumped at the same time, and they ripped the net. The horrific scene was over in about 18 minutes. 49 bodies burned to death or were suffocated by smoke. 36 were dead in the elevator shaft, and 58 died from jumping out the windows. Two more later died due to injuries, making a total of 145 people were killed at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory.
0: How many people made it out, Robin?
1: It doesn't say, but it says that building held about 600 people. So 145 died.
0: So I guess there's a couple of things that occur to me when I think about this. I mean, we live outside New York City. Mm-hmm. So my immediate thought is, of course, 9-11.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I out the windows, think of the yeah. people
0: jumping out the windows mm-hmm. and like that day. And I think the other thing that really strikes me is just how fast these things happen. And In 18 minutes. 18 minutes. 145 people died. This building and had multiple
1: elevators. Only one was working. And it well, yeah, could that's... only go up and down so many times. The stairway, one of them, the door downstairs was locked from the outside to prevent
0: stealing. Like like what? What the fuck are you doing? You know? Well yeah, and then yeah, it's it's a little unimaginable to think that you can't get out of fire escape and like a so like the whole reason why you have staircases and elevators is if the elevator stops working or God forbid there's a fire and they can't get out. Then there's always gotta be a staircase. Can't get out. And to think that they're locking it mm-hmm. to prevent theft is just I mean, it's, it is. It's a little unimaginable in today's society, mm-hmm. but then I'm not. I'm not versed in like worldwide. These things could still be happening regularly in factories, like in Malaysia, Indonesia, That's China. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what kind of regulations they have. This could be an occurrence that happens more frequently even today, a hundred and nine years later.
1: No, I I agree with you absolutely. The ash building was new and technically was fireproof. And it withstood the flames, but the <laughs> yeah. interior was gutted. Yeah,
0: yeah. The beautiful stone structure outside made it. Hmm, mm-hmm. interesting. Funny how stone survives fire. It's funny how you chose that building to People be here. don't, and wood and metal structures don't, but a nice strong building will stand the fire. You just Everything on that floor with well, these
1: girls that were doing their sewing, everything was flammable. Of course. The thread the fabric, the, the, the equipment, them, everything was flammable. Yeah. While the majority of the 600 or so workers had escaped, the 140 plus who had died were front and center in press coverage.
0: Yes, thankfully.
1: As police wagons brought the bodies to the morgue, hundreds of relatives lined up frantically, trying to find out if their daughters, wives, and mothers were among them. Pictures of the bodies and the coffins lined up in the city morgue shocked the public, and even the police were said to be a bit shaken.
0: I mean, can you imagine being the person who opened that door?
1: Some actually never see a tragedy like this in their lifetime, these police officers. I mean, luckily. And they just they open a stairwell door and fifty bodies, fifty burned
0: women. Young women mm-hmm. fall out on the charred skeletal remains fall out onto them. Can you imagine what yeah. an unbelievable sight that must be? Yeah. And all
1: it took was just to have the door open. Literally just an unlocked door. A safety door. A push. They just had to push it open. hmm Some women were so poor that their families could not afford a burial, and the Hebrew Free Burial Association provided free instruments in their Staten Island Cemetery, since most of the women, as I said before, were Jewish, and they were also Italian. Even though this is a devastating tragedy, the fire helped unite organized labor and reform-minded politicians like New York Governor Alfred Smith, Senator Robert Wagner, and one of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal Agendas architects, Francis Perkins, who served on a committee that helped set up the Factory Investigating Commission in New York in the wake of the fire, would later become Roosevelt's Secretary of Labor. The Workers' Union set up a march on April 5th on Fifth Avenue to protest the conditions that had led to the fire. This protest was attended by 80,000 people.
0: only took 150 girls to die.
1: Despite the evidence that the owners and management had been horribly negligent in the fire, a grand jury failed to indict them on manslaughter charges. In order to settle lawsuits against them, they eventually paid $75 in compensation to each of the victim's families, which was just a fraction of the $400 per death that they received from their insurance. So every death that happened, they got $400. They only gave $75 to each family.
0: So they made $58 thousand dollars and off of the death just the deaths of the women yeah and not, how much they give away they gave away not quite eleven thousand dollars the flames of hell must be licking upon <laughs> these dudes very hotly because they are the worst goddamn people mm-hmm. like to not even so granted the insurance right the insurance will pay for things separately so your insurance pays for damage to your machines damage to your garments damage to The, you know, framing of the building, whatever. And then it pays for specifically the debts. How they don't even have the goddamn conscience to give that bit of money to their families is so beyond me. It makes me so upset. Mm -hmm. This is so upsetting. Robin, this is very upsetting. I'm done. It's just hard sometimes when you hear about these things. And they're just... And this is a topic I've heard, like I, you know, learned about this in during college, I I know this story, I think about this story, you know, we have a good friend who's very interested in this story, and they mention it pretty frequently. And I always knew that it changed labor. And like, I thought about that. Mm -hmm. And I always knew that it changed labor. But like, when you assign numbers in that way, and you think that a person literally hires you to go to work one day, and you're excited. You just want to make some money for your family. You just, you're new to America and you're so excited to be here. You're in New York City and it's all so bright and possible and you're willing to work hard. You're young and you can do 12 hours a day and that they neglect your safety. And then not only that, they kill you and make a profit and they don't even have the conscience and Human decency, the humanity, to take care of the family that you're bringing the money home to, mm-hmm. to give them nothing. I mean, some of these it. families were so poor that, of course, their families
1: kind of contributed to them. Of course, they're like, "We're, we're going to reunite. We're going to, you know, you're our family now. Come with us, and and we'll we'll help you take care of this." Some people had
0: nothing, and some they're people... scraping together the money to for funerals. Yeah. some people were on their own. I mean, you think about it; it's like. If you come over from there, and they're America by themselves, and, and they end up in, yeah. hopefully, the Jewish cemetery, but I'm sure some of them ended up on Hart Island, Potter's Field. I think so. Of yes. course, they did. Yeah, of course they did. They weren't all. If there was, they didn't a, all have a just, magic If there was like a, you
1: know, a, um, a single woman and her husband come over, and he's or working this her. and this, or just her. And no one claims her,
0: or he or she claims the person, and, you or know... Or he works there's... just as bad of a job, and he can't even get off to go identify her body. Yeah. And then she's... La- and, then she's... and then she's gone before he's ever able to go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these immigrant tales, they never really change, though, sadly. It just becomes, if you aren't legal in this country, then you have nothing now and i'm sure you're Mm -hmm. going to talk about the regulations that changed and so now when we go to work and you see the door that's like fire door do not push and you're like you know if you push it it makes the fire alarm go off and you know that a great reason for that to be there is something like this and these women who died but you know that there are still places and there are still people who go to work every day and don't have that kind of safety because they don't have any legal right to fight and these women didn't Heavily, or right to fight because they were not even considered people because they didn't even have the right to vote yet. And you know, we discussed during some other episodes, Victoria Woodhall and things like that where they weren't considered a full person, a woman mm-hmm. wasn't considered a full person, but rather like a property of a father or a husband. And until that right to vote came, they weren't considered to have a say. and they just burned to death and these guys cashed a check and bought a house in Long Island.
1: This massacre that these people were responsible for did finally compel the city to enact reform, and the Sullivan-Hoy fire prevention law passed that October. The New York Democratic set took up the cause of the worker and became known as the Reform Party. Both were crucial in preventing similar disasters in the future. The Ladies' Waste and Dressmakers Union and the United Hebrew Trades of New York were two of the most effective of their new unions. Women historically discouraged from active public roles were front and center, showing that by the early 20th century, there had been a sea of change in attitudes towards them. Only seven years later, the U.S. Congress passed a nation's first suffrage law allowing women equal political participation in the nation. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory tragedy forever cemented the notion that the state has responsibility for the welfare of all of its members. Even one death, whatever the reason, was too much if it could have been prevented. That is the story of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, just another notorious narrative. If you enjoy our episodes, you can also go to patreon.com slash Notorious Narratives, where you can access exclusive content. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to be notified when a new episode is available. Keep it weird and never stop exploring.